Mud Stories, Episode 24. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. But what we're hoping that we can model for people is marriage is a partnership. So things that affect me affect Jen. Things that affect Jen affect me. And so we need to be able to communicate about anything and everything in our lives. And if, and if you try to compartmentalize and, and keep things from your spouse, then you're robbing yourselves of the true joy that God has really designed marriage to be. A husband needs to give the wife space to have that visceral growing up reaction, right? But if I could speak to wives, if I could like, hold your face in my hands. I would say there is a place for your anger and there is a place for your bitterness and that place is Jesus Christ. Because what your husband is giving in this confession is a gift and it's not wrapped in pretty paper and there is no bows and there is no pretty bag and it's not a delight when you open it. However, this is the way you handle this and the way you walk through this either opens more doors to true gifts or shuts them up. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast, and I'm particularly excited to share today's episode with you because I am not hosting this episode alone. Today, my husband's here with me. So, Thad, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. Thanks for the invitation. And it's uh, good to be sitting next to you, babe. Well, I like that you're sitting here, too. And you've joined me today because we are talking with another couple, Craig and Jen Ferguson, authors of a new book entitled Pure Eyes, Clean Heart, A Couple's Journey to Freedom from Pornography. And it's a book that shares their personal story of the shame, anger, and hopelessness that is associated with a pornography addiction. And since Jen and Craig wrote this book together, I thought it would be nice to chat with each other as couples about this ever-increasing and widespread issue and to talk not only about how it's affecting marriages, but in an effort to offer hope to any marriage, to really anyone whose life has been affected by the grip of pornography. So in this episode, we discuss how pornography is not at all about the sex, how micromanaging rules and an attempt to control another is never the answer, how our shame can keep us from God, some of the obstacles in our way that keep us from finding help and freedom from pornography, and how secrecy and shame give pornography its power. Craig and Jen candidly share the importance of transparency in marriage, how truth and confession is really a gift, even when it's not pretty. They share some tips to discussing the lure of pornography with our kids and the hope and healing they found as they made the choice to surrender to God. We are so thankful for how Craig and Jen not only bring practical help and tips to this difficult topic— but for the hope that we are praying it brings to even one person struggling today with this painfully sensitive and yet ever so pervasive issue. Enjoy. 
Hi, Craig and Jen. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. Hi, so nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, Thad and I are so glad you're here, and we're excited to shed some light on this mud you've walked through in your marriage. You've been through some really deep mud together, and it's gotten really messy. So would you take us back, help us understand what you faced and that day that it all began? Well, when Craig and I were dating, I happened to ask the question one day, have you ever looked at porn? And I was 19 when we met, pretty naive, and just must have thought of that question because of something we were watching, you know, some like movie or or whatever. And he said, yeah, all guys do it. And so I kind of thought, well, okay, well, that means that once we get married, it's not going to be an issue because then he can have sex all the time and or whatever, you know, pretty (laughs) close to it. But what happened was that I started to notice uh, after Craig got some bad medical news that he was facing this huge mountain, afraid of for his life because he didn't know what was really happening. And I just saw him disappear into this world of um, being on the computer late at night and not being able to um, have sex with me in our first year of marriage. And I just felt so disconnected from this man who was supposed to be part of, of who I was mm-hmm. and, you know, united in one flesh. But I was a new bride, just 22, and really could not... Um, entertain the fact that I couldn't be enough for him. Mm. And so, you know, life went on and we resolved the medical issue, but the my suspicion that there was something else didn't go away. When we moved to our, uh, our house, one day I was sitting in front of the computer looking something up and I found this URL to the site with a bunch of naked women and I immediately called him in. I said, what is this? And I felt like I finally had the smoking gun. Oh yes. Now all my suspicions are confirmed. And I felt so validated that I wasn't crazy, that I wasn't, you know, missing these signs. But at the same time, there's this sinking feeling in your gut. This is not something you ever want to be right about. Mm. And so he said, I'm so sorry. Yes, I did that. Um, I won't do that again. It's fine. I'm so sorry. And so, you know, I thought, okay, you've been caught. It's 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 in the, in the light. I had no idea two things. I had no idea how devastating pornography was in the sense that it just ensnares people. And um and I had no idea that it wasn't about sex. Um I didn't realize that it was about this fantasy world that he was escaping to in order to avoid reality and that this had been his coping mechanism since he was in junior high. So, um, but I moved on from that moment thinking it was done. And then when our daughter was four months old, I caught him again. And that one, um, that one was, I was so angry and so hurt and felt so betrayed. And I told him, I was like, it's like you had an affair. I mean, you're having sexual encounters with these women on the web. Why am I not enough? And all this. Mm. And he, and he just cratered and became suicidal in that moment. And so all that anger and bitterness, I just put away in a box because it was more important for my husband to be alive than it was for me to be honest with my feelings at that Mm. point. And so at that point, we um, started to get counseling. I told his parents because his dad is a priest and I had no idea. What do you do when your husband's laying in bed suicidal? Except reach out for someone you think could possibly be helpful. Yeah, so hard. So we reached out and Craig went to counseling, but um, he would come home from the counselor and I would ask him what was going on. He would say, oh, you know, we didn't really talk about that much. And we got involved in this historical conversation. And it was just this other... um, 
this next step was so fruitless because Craig wasn't willing to, to face that this was a problem. And his counselor, I think, didn't know what to do with it either. And so it just returned to this place of hiddenness and darkness. But, you know, you still have to do life, right? When you have kids and you have a job and, and porn just not, you know, front and center in your life all the time. It wasn't something that we could daily um, walk together because we just didn't know how. And so we just came up with rules the best we could. And so we, we turned the computer around so that the, you, I could see the computer as soon as I walked in. So we wouldn't have a chance to close the window and, you know, the window for the browser. And we uh, made rules that he couldn't leave the study door closed and he couldn't clear the cache or clear the history. And I mean, all these things couldn't be alone for X amount of time and, and all of this. And almost like micromanaging the situation. Oh, it was totally because I was afraid. And so in my personality, if I'm afraid, I want to control. And I became a parent instead of a wife. And I chose to... Um, you know, a lot of times I would, I couldn't, I feel like I could be angry about the pornography because of the suicide that he went through. Mm-hmm. So all my anger started came, coming out sideways. If he didn't do the dishes or if he didn't spend enough time with the kids or if he spent too much time video gaming, like everything I could find fault with because my anger had to come out somehow. And so it came out sideways. Yeah. So, um, but I felt pretty confident at some point that the rules were working, but I hadn't caught him in, um, I don't, you know, six months or, or a year. And then there was Mother's Day, and we had no money. We were, um, I was a stay-at-home mom, and Craig was working for $35,000 a year. And uh, he said, for Mother's Day, why don't you go get your hair cut? So that was just felt like a ginormous treat. So I left the house with my two girls and um, Craig, and I drove to the salon, and I get there. And there's a closed sign on the door. And I remember, oh, of course, she's a new mom. She's going to close down for Mother's Day. Enjoy her baby. So I get back in the car and I drive back home. And I pull up to the driveway and I open the front door. And there's my daughter listening to Elmo blaring on the TV. And I can hear my other daughter screaming in the other room. She's six months old. So I go into our bedroom where her crib was. And there she is laying down, red-faced, kicking so I pick her up and then I come out of the bedroom and that's when I see the study door closed. And I knew that pornography had never left. And so I opened the door and I, I yelled, how could you do this? And I shove Hannah to him and I run away in the bathroom closet the farthest I could get away. And for the first time, I let all my anger go. And no longer was this, please, you know, please deliver Craig or please help porn leave. It was, why the hell did you put me in this relationship with this man? Mm -hmm. And why did you ever think this was a good idea? And you know, I have trust issues. How can I, how can I ever trust him again? And so I got all of that anger and bitterness and rage out and I down on the floor and God said, are you ready to do this my way? Mm -hmm. Craig, what was going on with you at this time? Well, you know, for me, the first time when she was talking about I would kind of felt that I was at my my lowest and you would say rock bottom, but obviously I wasn't at that point ready to completely give it up. I mean, I for me, the first time when we were talking about where Jim said I was really depressed and, and borderline suicidal, I really felt like I was kind of like my lowest point um, in this journey, but I wasn't really ready to give it up at that point. It wasn't until the Mother's Day event. So I had to either choose um, to continue to engage in pornography and become single 
or I could choose to fight for my marriage um, and choose to fight for my wife and my kids um, and fight this addiction that I had. And that's when we both decided that it became more of a partnership at that point instead of being adversarial where Jim was like, okay, you know, don't get, don't do this. So I don't have to get angry and you don't have to get caught and feel guilty. And I was, uh, wasn't in the mode of, okay, trying to hide and run and, and keep things hidden as much as I could to more like, okay, we really need to talk about this. We, we need to be in constant communication about what's going on with each other, not just, you know, with Jennifer, but with me, uh, because for me, pornography had become the safety net where I would run to if I was stressed or concerned or scared. It was it was really a comfort mechanism for me. Um, and people can use a variety of different comfort. It could be food. It could be you know porn. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. Um, but that's just the one that I had been using for so long. Mm-hmm. And and so. At that point, that was really the turning point for us in our marriage uh, and then with me with this addiction. And so uh, you kind of have to fast forward a bit where Jennifer was going to a a conference. And it was a a conference that had two basic tracks, a speaking track and a writing track. And she'd already been through a speaking track before at another conference. And she really felt like she was supposed to write a book. And so in her quiet time, I was like, I want you to write a book about pornography. And so, of course, Jennifer's first reaction is, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> but God has a way of getting his, his way. Um, he's like, well, you know, talk to Craig about it. And so she came in. She says, I really feel like God's asking us to write this book about your pornography addiction and how it's affected our marriage. And so when she immediately said that, my first instinct was to say, well, of course he said that. But I was like, you know, I really want to pray about this and and try to discern if this is what we're going to do, because it's a big deal. And I, I didn't want to minimize the decision, but the answer came pretty immediate. It was like, yeah, of course, um, this is what you're supposed to do. And so we started getting the ideas together. And throughout the process of writing the book, you know, we kept doubting ourselves and, and, and doubting this project, but the one thing that I kept saying and we kept saying to each other was, look, even if this book doesn't get published, the very fact of going through this exercise of, of kind of re going over our experiences and talking out our experiences and it, it had a tremendous positive impact on our relationship and it was essential to my recovery. Um, and so I kept telling Jennifer, I was like, even if the book doesn't get published, let's keep going because this is working. What we're doing is working. You know, Craig, it seems like I've heard a lot of people talk about pornography in a way that it's a sin that uh, only affects the person doing it. It sounds like what you're saying is that it affects more, that it affects all aspects of our lives. Um, you know, I have a group of men who I meet with on a monthly basis, and we have chosen a book to read each month. And I knew what was coming. We were going to be reading the book, Every Man's Battle, which is a book that is a way that men can study and learn about how pornography impacts our lives. And uh, I didn't place it, of course, in the first month because I was sure no one would ever feel comfortable talking <laughs> about the topic. Hi, welcome to the group. Let's talk about pornography right. <laughs> or your struggle with, with it. But by the sixth month, we were ready, and there wasn't a single guy 
who was uh, free of this problem, and all eight of us, to some degree, whether from you know early childhood or you know later on in life, or even presently, still struggling with it. And it seems like uh, it's far-reaching, way more than just the statement that uh, it only affects me. You know, it, it doesn't go any further than that. You know, this is an issue. It's a problem that plagues so many men, and it can start at such a young age. You know, can you help us understand what leads men into this struggle of pornography? Honestly, other men. So for me, I was introduced to it by a friend of mine through his father. His father had a magazine subscription to Playboy. And so my friend knew where they where his father hid them and then snuck them out and shared them with me and our other friends. So and the more I people, particularly men, about this problem, that's not uncommon. It's typically you an older brother, a father, an uncle, a grandfather even. Um, someone has access to pornography and the, either the child finds it, or in some cases, I had a friend whose father actually gave him the magazine. Hmm. Um, and so, did you just say his father gave it to him? Yes. Wow. So, I mean, in almost every case that I can think of, it's another male, another male figure that has either inadvertently or overtly provided the material. Mm-hmm. Well, and nowadays it's so much different than it was when you and Thad were younger. I mean, Back then, it was you had to sneak into a store to grab a magazine undercover or find it hidden somewhere. And now, you know, kids have, you know, cell phones connected to the Internet. With one couple clicks, you're at pornography. Exactly. You know? And that was one of the things we talked about in, in some other uh, discussions we've had, folks, is like you, you made a very bad point. You know, as a child or as a young boy, I couldn't go into one of those stores. Yeah, they wouldn't allow me in there. So I had to find it elsewhere. And as I became an adult, even then, you didn't want to go there because there is obviously a shame associated with this with pornography, um, especially if you're a Christian. But nowadays, it's as close as your front pocket. And the, and the, the, the danger of being discovered, at least socially, is potentially zero. But Jen and I were talking about this last night that, you know, the, the internet anonymity is a, is a lie. I mean, most recently we had, you know, celebrities whose, uh, their accounts were hacked. And so now millions of people were able to see images that they thought were going to be private. And so, it's, it's another falsehood. And you mentioned earlier in the conversation about how you felt, you know, that it's, it's a victimless crime, so to speak, or it's, it only affects the person doing it. And that was another lie that I told myself. So I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not really even hurting myself. But if you think about what this, in, what this industry breeds and what, what fuels this industry, it's extremely destructive. Hmm. Um, and it's sex trafficking. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pervasive. I mean, on, on the dark end, it's, you know, costing people their lives potentially, you know, and on even the lighter end, it's still a sin. And, and, you, and you don't necessarily want to be actively engaging in sin unrepentantly, you know what I'm saying? That's not really a word. But, you know, as a Christian, you have to look at this as 
this is not okay. You know, this is not what God intended, you know, sex to be. Well, and I think that's that's part of the problem. Not only do we now, and even then, we have this material out there that draws us away from God and, and lures us into this sexual temptation, but also we have no, as a church, we haven't taught our kids what it's supposed to be, really. We haven't, I mean, there are couples our age and older that don't even understand what the fullness of marriage is. Yeah. And so, and so until we can, it's like, not only do we, we can't just say, don't look at that. We also have to say, here's what is good. And here's what is meaningful. And here's what God, this beautiful thing that God created for us to live in. So that that holds more than the other stuff. Yeah. I think, I think that's so true what you're saying. Now you've spoken Craig about obviously how it began for you. Now at this point though, what, what is it that leads a man to use pornography. I mean, is it more than just, uh, you know, the, the handing of the magazine to the to the young child? The continued right, use. The yeah. continued use. Yeah. What? yeah, I mean, for me, it was the accessibility to it. You know, like the fact that I didn't have to go somewhere to find it. I could go as close as the computer, right? But for me, what led me to continue to use it was it as I mentioned before, it was really a coping coping mechanism for me. It was I might be stressed or um I might have anxiety about an upcoming meeting or yeah. feeling stagnant um, in your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean it was it was really and I've used this term before, but it was almost like a self medicating thing that I used um to find comfort. And <laughs> what I had to realize was is I had this hole right inside of me that I was trying to fill with things like pornography or food um, or whatever else I wanted to fill, video games, whatever it might be, to take my eyes off without having that hole, but it wasn't filling that hole. And that hole could only be filled with a relationship with Jesus and God. And so I had to come to a place in my life and my understanding about my relationship with God and what that really meant to really truly accept that. And it wasn't until I accepted that and began to to pursue that that I was able to really start the healing process of my pornography addiction. One of the things I think is really cool about Craig's story is that uh, one of the reasons he hadn't mentioned yet, but one of the reasons that he used porn is because of his fear of rejection. So he could enter into this fantasy world and have whatever he want and, and nobody nobody would tell him no. And part of the reason why he couldn't um, feel like he could get to Jesus and have that relationship with Jesus is because of his shame. And he was afraid that Jesus would reject him. And so when he came to the realization that God will never reject him, no matter what he's done, no matter how many times he's sinned, no matter how many times he's had to ask for forgiveness, um, he was able to turn from that fantasy world and really plug into Jesus. That's so key. It's so key to desire that. I mean, I think any anyone struggling with an addiction, whether it's pornography or anything else, until we get to the end of ourselves and we really get to the bottom of what the issue is and face really our depravity and our need for God and then mm-hmm. really surrender and desire God, it really is hard to begin to heal. Right. Yeah. Jen, I'd like to talk a little bit about a wife's struggle with their husband's pornography because I can only imagine there are so many women who might be listening to us today 
who are in a marriage where pornography is an issue. And I think Craig mentioned this fact of shame and secrecy, you know, that drives the fuel of the addiction. And I think for women, dealing with this issue in their marriage and it being a secret is so painful because, you know, you have those feelings of being betrayed, being angry, wanting to lash out, and yet there's hardly anyone to talk to if you're not, you know, mentioning it to anyone. And there's so many feelings. There can be so much devastation and hurt by finding out that your husband is dealing with pornography. And so what would you say in your journey, in your experience and process of really knowing and becoming aware of, of Craig's pornography that day in the closet, just breaking down and, you know, God saying, are you going to do this your way or my way? Mm-hmm. That whole surrendering process. Can you speak to that? Because I think a lot of times there's nagging and there's yelling and there's begging sure. and there's crying and it cycles into then, okay, I'm going to be understanding. And then, but then the anger comes back and it's like this cycle that women get in. And we just really long for our guys to really desire us and Mm -hmm. want us. And pornography seems like a really cheap, insulting substitute that we're getting told we're not enough. And yet that's not really what I'm hearing you or Craig say it's all about. And so can you just speak from that wife's perspective today, how to deal with breaking that cycle of that nagging, yelling desperation, really, and getting somewhere more productive, really, with it? Yes. So at the end of that, being on the bathroom floor in that choice, like, are you going to do it my way and saying yes and realizing, okay, if I'm going to do this God's way, I have to surrender all of these old habits that I am in. So not only do I have to lay all that down, but I also need to equip myself, let God equip me with new habits. And so it's, it's walking out the surrender in the day to day. Like it's, I don't think most people say, okay, I surrender this. And they immediately know what the fullness of that picture means. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, it, you're surrendering to this um, intangible being and, and how do you, that you don't always know. I mean, you can know in your head or well, he's with me, but Oh, I, it's like you want a direct line. It's God saying, okay, surrender equals. And then the list of to do's <laughs> and don'ts, right? right. And, and you, you don't get that immediate download of do's and don'ts. It's a practice. So just as Craig had to practice turning from pornography to Jesus, I had to practice turning from control to Jesus as well. And so, um, I, and I didn't have anyone to, to talk to about this because part of the shame for a woman is if I tell people my husband is addicted to pornography, then they're going to think that I lack something. If I was a good enough wife, mm-hmm. then he wouldn't look at pornography. If I weighed 50 pounds less, then he wouldn't look at pornography. If I you know, had bigger boobs or pouty lips or this or that, mm-hmm. if I did these things in bed, with him, right. then he wouldn't look at pornography. And so uh, I felt really trapped. So what I did is I said, Lord, I need you to be so specific with me. If there is a time that I am supposed to be a helper, let me know. If there is a time that I'm supposed to be silent, let me turn my word to you instead of to Craig. And so um, one time we were... Um, That's so kid- powerful. Well, the kids were in bed. We were sleeping. It was like in the middle of the night. And one of my prayers specifically to God was to say, Lord, if Craig gets up in the middle of the night to go look at porn, will you please wake me up? And um, so I we went to bed and he was sleeping. And when I felt him turn over and get up, you know, I'm in, it's like in the middle of the night and I have two kids, like 
when they're sleeping, I really want to be asleep. And, um, <laughs> and so God, God woke me up and, and, uh, I saw Craig trying to leave the room and I said, Craig, where are you going? And he says, I, I remembered I had some work to do. And I was like, honey, you don't have work to do at three o'clock in the morning. Why don't you just come back to bed? And so he ended up coming back to bed and I just wrapped my arms around him and I started praying and, and I prayed first, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you were faithful in answering my prayer, because you know this is a new practice for me to not scold, to not nag, to not live in fear, but to instead surrender and know that you are going to come get me and use me when it's my um, my role to do that. And so then the next the next morning, I asked him. I was like, "Hey, were you really going to work that at three o'clock in the morning?" And he said, "No, I was going to look at porn. Thank you." for waking up and holding me. And it was just this incredible sense that like, okay, God, you are faithful. Not only are you faithful to help me learn how to be a helper as my godly role as a wife, but you are so faithful to continue to engage with Craig to keep him safe. You know, and so it was just all these um, little ways where God was teaching us not only to turn Craig away from porn and be away from control, but how to come together and really be that team, how to be really um, one flesh and what that looks like in a day-to-day life, because we can't really conceptualize two becoming one. Craig, I'm curious, how did that help you? I mean, did you feel a benefit from her kind of being a team player there with you? So for me, it's really important to know that Jennifer has my back. You know, and I think that I'm not unique in that. You know, a lot of husbands feel that same way. And, you know, it was really important to me that it be a partnership, that I didn't feel like it was all my burden that I had to do on my own because it affected not only myself, but also Jen and our relationship. And so I really, to know and to feel that Jennifer was fighting alongside me in this battle was absolutely key. Uh, to our success. Now, doesn't that mean then you'd have to be completely open and honest? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the thing that gives pornography its power is the secrecy and shame and the desire to keep it hidden, the desire not to talk about it, the desire not to communicate about it. And so your strongest weapon against that is to do exactly the opposite, is to talk about it all the time. And, And that was really, really hard for me because it was everything inside me was saying, you're an idiot. Why are you doing this? Why are you telling her about this? Why are you telling her when you're tempted? Why are you telling her don't leave because I'm feeling tempted right now? Or that she might be gone already and you're sending her a text saying, hey, pray for me. I'm feeling tempted. But Which has happened. But that's what I had to do. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's really what that's what it takes. Um, we call this book a marriage book. And that's exactly what it is. And it's not a cure for pornography. But what we're hoping that we can model for people is marriage is a partnership and nothing that occurs to one doesn't, it doesn't, we we don't live in isolation from one another. I mean, God joined us as one flesh. So things that affect me affect Jen, things that affect Jen affect me. And so we need to be able to communicate about anything and everything uh, in our lives. And if, and if you try to, compartmentalize and and keep things from your spouse, then you're robbing yourselves of the true joy that God has really designed marriage to be, which is to share 
your lives with one another. And that's, and, and that's kind of what God's calling us to be. We, we, we have talked about how marriage is really a manifestation of the relationship between God and the church. And God wants the church to share everything with him. And, you know, a husband needs to share what's his, what is his struggles. And we've done ourselves a disservice um, by creating this idea that man is supposed to be solitary and stiff upper lip and, you know, the whole John Wayne aspect of don't need help. Um, but that's not how God really designed us to be. He designed us to, to be one flesh with our wife. And that means being, um, sometimes surrendering and being weak so your wife can be strong. So truth is better than a lie then. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In marriage, then, how do we cultivate the kind of relationship where there is full disclosure to each other with no secrets? How does that work? Well, I think that, you know, part of the other reason we wrote this book was because we made a lot of mistakes. And so if we can save people from making those same mistakes, I think it would be um, so helpful. And so we here we are on the other side of it, and we're saying, husband, tell your wife you're addicted to porn. <laughs> when, you know, like... Okay, so tell your scary, angry wife yeah. that you're addicted to yeah. porn. Right. I mean, you know, not all women are going to receive that well, Jen. They're right. going to really freak out. Right. And so, and so, and there needs to be space. Like a, a, a husband needs to give the wife space to have that visceral throwing up <laughs> yes. reaction, right? Mm-hmm. But if I yes. could like speak to wives, if I could like hold your face in my hands. I would say there is a place for your anger and there is a place for your bitterness. And that place is Jesus Christ. Because what your husband is giving in this confession is a gift. And it's not wrapped in pretty paper and there is no bows and there is no pretty bag. And it's not a delight when you open it. However, this is the way you handle this and the way you walk through this either opens more doors to true gifts or shuts them up. Yes. And when we cut off truth, no matter how painful it is, we cut off freedom. And Jesus says, the truth will set you free. He didn't say the truth is going to be pretty. He didn't say the truth is going to be easy. But I believe fully because God did it with me. When the very first time that Craig confessed to me, God got in my face and he said, receive this as a gift. And then I was able to love Craig and honor his confession, and honor his honesty, and say, I forgive you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for not letting this darkness sit in between us. Because husbands, you may think, oh, my wife doesn't know. And wives, you may not know, but you still know something's wrong. You're still missing something that God has for you. And do you really want to go through life robbing yourself of joy? Right. Well, and I love that you say it was a gift. I mean, the honesty that can happen in marriage and the trust and intimacy that can be built, Mm -hmm. you know, confession is the beginning of that. And really having that posture of surrender that God is in control, laying down our surrender as wives and really saying, okay, what is it about this situation that God wants to teach me? What does God want to change inside of me and cultivate me into becoming more like Christ? Because all that God gives 
really is a tool to help us become more like him. And so really embracing that is is so important. And yet I'm wondering, Jen, I'm just, you know, I'm going to play the devil's advocate a little bit here. If we validate our husband's feeling or struggle with this addiction or this problem, you know, we say we receive it as a gift. We try to, in our humble surrender way, relinquish our control. And yet the forgiveness that you're talking about, I mean, in Matthew, it says God forgives us. We are to forgive others, you know, and yet sometimes offering that forgiveness really feels like, oh, it's like we're condoning what has happened or what has been done how how do we reconcile that feeling well i think it's uh looking at yourself so for me i was always a good girl and so it was very much very easy for me especially in the early years to say craig you are committing a horrible sin how dare you betray me how dare you do this to our marriage how dare you how dare you how dare you when every day god could be saying to me jen well, how dare you be controlling? How dare you lie? How dare you yell at your kids? How dare you not treat your husband with respect? (laughs) You know, how dare you eat that food when you need to be coming to me? So no hierarchy of sin. Exactly. And so... Sin is sin to God. Sin is sin. Yes. And and so I think that um, when we make a choice, I will forgive. God doesn't, you say, I will forgive. Words have power. Craig, I forgive you. That has power. That is, but that is the start, right? Like then we have to practice that forgiveness and we might have to practice that over and over and over again. It's like the the story in Mark where the man who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I feel like we say, Lord, I forgive, help me to forgive. And there, and then we engage yes. in this process where God teaches us, where do we put our anger? Where do we put our bitterness? How do we give it to God and then not bring it back? And we're not always going to do it right. But life is a process and working out with our husband is a process. Yes. And forgiveness is not an event. It's right. a continuing, ongoing practice. Yes. So there's a lot of practice that comes with overcoming any addiction. Yes, yes. Many Christians feel, though, that confessing to God alone is sufficient. But Scripture seems, you know, to point to a need to confess our wrongs to each other. I'm thinking of, like, James 5, where it says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that that you may be healed. What's the benefit of confessing to each other instead of only confessing to God? I'm reminded of our own story, um, kind of post-affair, in which we were drawn to the fact that even though we felt that we had confessed all that we had done before God Mm -hmm. and found forgiveness from God, that there still was a need to to talk to people, to tell people, to kind of shine the light on it, to, to have them realize that they know we're not okay with what we did. Mm-hmm. To tell them, to confess to them that we believe what we did was wrong. I mean, there's a, yes, and yeah. it's a, there's a benefit to that, I imagine. What's the benefit, I mean, what would, what do you, what would you say about uh, the benefit of confessing to each other? Um, what I would say is that confessing to one another builds relationships. And the world tells you that it's a way to destroy relationships. But what God is telling you is nothing builds relationships stronger. Than, because what, what that requires you to do is to humble yourself before someone else and say, you know what? I made a mistake. And then you're get and it's, and Jennifer talked about being a gift, and it truly is a gift. And then the other person has to receive that gift and say, thank you. And, you know, it's, 
it has every, you know, thing starts with one step, the first step. And, you know, for us, the first time was hard and it was awkward and yeah. it was intense. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And it doesn't, it isn't hard at that point. It's something that you want to do, right? And so you want to talk about it. You want to say, hey, you know, I'm sorry. It's it's no different than if you if I got mad at Jennifer and I and I said something that I regretted to come back to her and say, you know what? I'm sorry I did that. You know, well, I, of course I would do that because I hurt her. Why yeah. would I? Why would I not do the same thing? You know, for something she didn't know about that she would find out about eventually. Right. You know, and th- that was what got to me was like, you know, you you, you want to keep it secret and you want to hide it, but there's no secret that won't ever be made known. Right. And I mean, even it may have been after I'm long gone, right? But then, what kind of legacy is that for for my family? Right. Um, and so we're all presented with choices, and that was one of the things that God kept reminding me, even in the moment of temptation, is like you always have a choice. I love that to say yes or say no, and always a choice. There's always a choice, and it may not feel like it at the time, but. That became like this rote thing that I, I would tell myself is that even now, like when I'm tempted, it's like you always have a choice, Greg. You always have a choice. You can say yes or you can say no. And then it's the prayer is, God, show me what else. What else is there? What can, what can I choose? Give me a choice. Give me another choice. That's pervasive besides just with porn addiction. For me, it's, it could be, I know there's a list of honeydews that I need to do, and I don't want to do them. But I have a choice to say yes or no, and uh, and I generally choose the better portion, which is to say yes to those things because it blesses Jennifer and blesses our marriage and makes my life easier. But I I think that if there's one thing I would want someone to take away, especially a, a man who's struggling with this, is you have the power of choice. God, that was one of the greatest gifts God gave us next to Jesus was the power of choice. Well, and I want I want to speak to that in a few minutes about that. I want you to talk to that. But before we do, I'd like to go back and talk just a little bit as parents. I read a statistic that children's first exposure to pornography is actually age 11. And I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about some strategies on how to talk to our sons so that there's a minimized risk of them being led down this path. I mean, maybe this true confession and transparency and no secrets is part of that process. Well, I I agree with you, Jackie. I think that, I mean, our boys are 10 and 8 right now, so it's maybe in, in the near future as we look forward to it. But I think one could tie in this transparency with your children just like you want in your marriage. Right, and, and I don't think it's a conversation limited to boys. Because girls are more and more susceptible to porn. And, and now we have moms that are reading books like Fifty Shades of Grey and all this erotica stuff. And so I don't I, – and we've had to have a conversations with our with our kids who are 10 and 8. They're both girls. And because here we have these books sitting in our house with the word pornography on them. <laughs> yes. You know, and when you yes. get a crate of 50 at a time, like you can't really hide them very well. <laughs> Um, and so, but it was, I love it. even though we had a lot of anxiety about how to do it, uh, the Holy Spirit was so faithful in giving us the word to say, yeah. this is what pornography is. And all those rules that we have about the internet, like why you come under our Wi-Fi and you can only go to these sites is because the internet has some really good stuff, but it has some really, really bad stuff. Yeah. And you're still learning what's good and what's bad. 
And so, so we want to teach you what some of these bad things are. And then at the same time, we're telling them, okay, so pornography is when people make choices their bodies in a way that's dishonoring to God because this is who God created you to be. This is a gift that he's given you. And this is how he wants you to use that gift. You know, so it's teaching them about the dangers of pornography, but then also telling them why they were created the way they were and why they have these urges and all of these things. So it's like, we it's a dual purpose conversation to, to establish who they are and to establish that they don't have to do these things to make themselves better or worthy or, or whatever. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, Thad and I had the sim- a similar experience with our story because when I wrote my story out on my blog um, a few years ago, we actually sat down with the kids and had a conversation. And it was a hard one. God was so good. We were studying the Old Testament at the time with the kids in homeschool. And so we came upon the Ten Commandments. And of course, there's that commit adultery, which is kind of hard to explain to kids who are five, seven, you know, nine and and 11. But, you know, as I was writing out our story on on the blog, you know, it was really important to have that transparent conversation with them and really teach them from our own experience. I think as parents, there's sometimes a hesitation to not reveal our flaws to our kids right. and to hide our stories of struggle because we don't want them to think it's okay for them to do that. Right. But at the same time, it's been my experience, our experience really, that being transparent with our kids is so very powerful in the opposite direction to really help them know, number one, when they fail, because they are going to fail, mm-hmm. that they're going to know that they're not alone. They're not going to have a false impression of us as parents that we, you know, have been perfect, that we have never struggled. And they're going to have trust in us to know that we've failed. We can understand where they're coming from and really be that place that they can come trust in, you know, when they do experience failure in their life. So I think it's a powerful beginning for not only exposure to the idea of what is pornography, but for any real struggle that we have in life. Yeah, I totally with agree. Our, with our kids, so. Craig, I know you touched on it briefly just a few moments ago, but what would you say to the husband who feels trapped in you know, the cycle of addiction that they're in right now, one that feels impossible to break? Yeah, the first thing I would tell them it would be, you're not alone. And because that's the pervasive feeling, at least that I felt, um, and the guys I've talked to that they feel when they're struggling in the cycle is that they just feel so alone. They feel so isolated. And so I always tell them, and I tell myself, you're not alone. God, besides God and, and your relationship with Jesus, there are literally millions of other men that struggle with this same problem. Um, and then the next thing that I would tell them is, talk to your wife. For me, until I made that decision to actively involve Jennifer in this process, that was when I actually started my recovery. Um, I could not continue to do this by myself. And I, and I tried talking with my friends and with the other guys who were struggling with it, but it wasn't until I, till Jennifer and I were working together as a team uh, that I was able to start my recovery. And so, you know, that leads me to believe that that is an essential key to success is involving your spouse and talking to your wife. Um, and that's a hard conversation to start. But, you know, things that are worth having are 
are worth doing. And so it, it can be hard and, and, it, and it's going to be hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but it's worth it and it is a necessary step. But once you get past that step, it's like starting exercise or any other you know, thing that's worthwhile doing. It's hard at first and your body hurts and you, and you want to quit because it's, it's easy to quit. It's easy not to do it. Um, it's easy to, to fall victim to the lie of fear and the lie of shame. It's hard to stand up and say, no, this is the truth and this is what I need to be doing. And so actively involving with your wife and having conversations with that and then being open and continuing to being open about what's going on in your life and why it's affecting you. It's how it's affecting you. For me, I, I really had to, to figure out, okay, why, why did I choose this? And why am I actively engaged in pornography? What is, what is it doing? And I just kept breaking it down and whittling it away and whittling away until ultimately for me, it was me trying to fill that God-shaped hole. I know that sounds kind of cliche-ish, but that's exactly what it was for me is, you know, the, the spot that was preserved purely for God, I was trying to fill. And that was what I chose. Just like, just like there was a hole that only Jen could fill in my life. There's a, a slightly larger section that only God can fill. <laughs> <laughs> so shine light on it. To expose it, break the secrecy. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's a vulnerable thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, ri- it's risky to be vulnerable. Right. Right. You have to trust that you have a wife that can actually accept the information you're going to deliver. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause, and she might not accept it well the first time. But that's the, but that's the point. It's like you keep trying. You If you're going to be messy, you might as well go all in. Like if you're going to fling the mud around a little bit. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, let's, Jen, let's talk about, in closing, let's talk about that hurting and broken wife today who has found out about their husband's struggle and yet has a husband who doesn't really want to open up and be vulnerable and pursue that kind of intimacy that Craig was encouraging men to do. You know, what what could she do today? She could pray because um, I lived so many years of our marriage trying to fix and trying to control and trying to nag and trying to get him, force Craig into a place where he would just stop doing the porn stuff. And it wasn't until I really started praying. You know, I would pray before, God, please just save him. Please don't let him look at porn. Please this. But when you're trying to to pray that, but then you're still trying to fix that. I, I kind of feel like it cancels it out a little bit, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you, you don't have, you're not allowing God um, space to move. Like he couldn't even get a word in, right? Because I would say, please fix him. And, I'll, and here's how, y- you know, and you don't really want to order God around like that because he has such a better plan. Well, and a husband's not really going to want to open up to that correct. if you're not a safe place, you know. Yes. Poor, the poor guys out there, Craig's telling them to tell their wife, and yet they have a wife that's not safe trying to control everything, you right, know. Right, And so prayer, when I finally got to that place of surrender and, and prayer, not only did I feel like that prayer started to change Craig, but that prayer started to change me. And I needed to know who I was in Christ. I needed to know that he created me and designed me to be the person that I am, and that is enough. He did not design me to have, you know, double D boots. He did not design me to... Um, me either, make, sister. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't make me look like a porn star, and that's okay because that's not what he knew Craig needed. Craig didn't need a porn star. He needed me, 
in a healthy relationship, you know? And so once I could get, um, so why it's like, I want to tell you that his, your husband's pornography is not because of you. Yes. And I want to tell you that there's nothing that you can do in your physical state that's going to deter him or just detract him from porn because the porn is not about sex. The porn is about him choosing to escape from a reality and nobody's reality is perfect. And nobody's reality is roses, you know? Right. And well, and escaping from the reality is really an avoidance of intimacy and vulnerability. Yes. And anybody that is going to risk being vulnerable and intimate has to feel safe first. Yes. And so as women, we have a lot of control and power over that. Instead of controlling the situation, making all the rules, closing the door, checking the phone, whatever. Right. It's more about really changing our own hearts to really cultivate that safe environment. Would you say, Craig, does that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the woman also has to get to a place where she's willing to, a, to a safe place where she's let, willing to let go of all the rules and all the regulations. And so the only way that she can do that is to cultivate a relationship of trust with Jesus. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're going to rebuild your trust with your husband, it can't start based on what your husband does and doesn't do. It has to start with trusting the process and and trusting the one who leads that process, which is God. Right, which isn't a clear-cut, simple, bullet-listed points of how to solve your problem. It's it's a journey, right? Right, right. A messy one. A relationship journey. (laughs) Yes. Well, I would just like to say thank you to both of you. I I feel like uh, you have really spoken some powerful words, and I hope that people will listen to this and realize that there's hope for them. Uh, Craig, I just have to say that it takes a real man to be open and honest with their wives the way you've been. And I, th- I just think that's a lesson for all of us, you know, to be willing to be vulnerable, you know, in front of, you know, it's sometimes easier in front of other men, as you, as you spoke earlier, but to be real vulnerable in front of your wife and risk and take the chance to make your, you know, your situation better. And that's what you did. Yeah. And the freedom that comes from that. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for having us. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, I'm so glad you could join us. Well, I want everyone to know a little bit about where they can find you more online. I know you've written this amazing book, Pure Eyes, Clean Heart, A Couple's Journey to Freedom from Pornography. Will you just take another moment? Just let everybody know where can we find you online if we want to, you know, reach out more and get more advice, get more wisdom from your writing or speaking. Um, if you want any more information, we have a website based on our book called www.pureeyescleanheart.com. And we have some um, just a little bit more about us and where we came from and where we've been. And then as well, um, if you're a woman listening, I have a website for our women's group. It's called soledeagloriasisterhood.com. And basically, it's a place where women gather um, in authenticity and share our stories so that women who are journeying through hard places don't feel so alone. And it just connects women and to drive us uh, deeper with each other and deeper with our relationships with Jesus. Yes. And um, I just want to leave you with one book that really changed us. And it's um, called Praying God's Word by Beth Moore. And in it is, um, there's several sections about different strongholds. And sexual addiction is one of those strongholds. And I found prayers that I could pray over Craig daily, and Craig found prayers that he could pray over himself daily. So Beth Moore's book is just an incredible resource. Praying God's Word by Beth Moore. I will for sure link to that. And 
Again, thank you, Craig and Jen, for being so bold, for being so brave, so transparent in sharing your journey with the world. It's what we need. There are so many struggling with not only the addiction of pornography in their lives and relationships, but so many other things that we go to before we go to God. And I love that you have not provided a quick fix. You've provided uh, an opportunity for people to see that our struggles and our trials really can be a gift and it can be a way of drawing us closer to God if we let it. So blessings to you both. Thank you. Blessings. Okay. Bye. Well, that was just so great. What an important impact they're making. Just so transparent and brave. And, you know, we hope there was even just one something there for each one of you listening for wherever you are and whatever you're facing just one something to give you hope as you face this difficult issue. As always, you can find all the show notes and links to everything mentioned in this episode over at mudstories.com or jackiewatkins.com forward slash episode 24. And thank you again so much for taking the time out of your day to join us here. If there is someone in your life who you think could benefit from this episode, We would so appreciate it if you'd share this podcast with them with the intent that it would meet them and help them right where they are. You know, this issue is such a difficult one, and it's just something that a lot of people are dealing with in their own private lives. And so I think just throwing them a lifeline, just someone who's been there with some experience to help them along their journey would just be so helpful. And don't forget, also, if you would like to receive a free audiobook today, you can do so if you go to mudstoriesbook.com and sign up for a free trial with Audible, which you can also cancel at any time. You know, so many of us are on the go, in the car, constantly busy. And I know for me, audiobooks are a great way to read while doing something else that I love. And so when you sign up for the trial, you'll be able to choose an audiobook, any audiobook of your choice, and download it today. And in return, I will receive a small commission to help with the cost of this podcast. And I would just so appreciate it if you are willing and able to support us in that way. And again, you can do that by going to mudstoriesbook.com. And as usual, I'd also love it if you would consider leaving a rating or review over at iTunes. And you can do that at JackieWatkins.com forward slash iTunes. And a big thank you goes to Amy Boyd this week for your kind and encouraging words in your review last week. Amy writes, as I listen to each of the mud stories, I realize that I am not alone in the mud. The twists and turns we take are all different, but in the end, we all need the grace and mercy of God to clean us up. Thank you, Jackie, for sharing these stories and encouraging us to share our stories too. So thank you, Amy, so much. And it really is the ratings and reviews which help iTunes to show more people this podcast so they can find it and be encouraged too. And again, you can do that by going to JackieWatkins.com forward slash iTunes. Well, a big thanks to you, Thad, for coming and joining us here at Mud Stories. It was so, so fun to do this interview with you. And we should do it again. Absolutely, we should. And we will. So again, I'm so thankful for each one of you and want us to remember today that no matter what we're facing, where we've been, or what lies ahead, may we all find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. A never-ending feels a press upon my mind, upon the shame. 
song 